You are listening to Subtle Disruptors Melbourne. This is the first series of the podcast, Subtle Disruptors, telling the stories of those who are quietly having an amazing positive impact on their city and the world. 800 metres was turned into nothing just like that as I watched him sprinting the course of the neighbourhood this morning. No burdens, resentments or cares for deep thinking weighed on him. Instead, the purpose of service arose like the dawn in him. Standing in awe of this, I felt a need to tell him what was happening. I spoke, but the words fell right in his way, so he kicked them off. Knowing that praise weighs as heavy as blame, he kept moving. With our garbage held behind and in front, he returned to a state of no mind. Watching him, I realised how lucky we are to have the people in our lives who don't need to judge who or what it's about. It's just garbage and it needs to be taken out. What often happens with my podcast conversations is that I don't know the person that well before I get there. And I like it this way. I like not really knowing what they look like, where we are going to meet, what they have done, because I like the conversation to unfold in as natural a way as possible. This also scares the hell out of me. Without fail, I'm nervous before every conversation, hopeful that my guest will be a no-show, wondering if I'm going to make a fool of myself. What I loved about the conversation with this week's guest is that this is exactly what we talked about, about having an open mind, about forgetting about a pre-chosen outcome, and allowing the richness of the journey to shape and influence the outcome, taking it to new places we could not have imagined. This is the playground of this week's guest, straddling the desire for certainty with the desire for heart. I'm Adam Murray, and thanks for joining me as I talk with Matt Jackson on the subtle disruption of the relationship between art and business. Matt, it's very good to be sitting here with you. We are in not quite the the surroundings that I was expecting when we first showed up. (laughs) Do you want to describe where we are and then perhaps why you picked this place or why this place picked us? Well, it's a pleasure to be here with you, Adam. And for our readers' benefit, I'll describe here. Uh, Here is in front of a fireplace uh, just opposite the Botanical Gardens in Melbourne. And in the background, we can hear some lovely female vocals. Uh, and if you were here with us, you would have to resist the temptation of a ratherly well-stocked bar. <laughs> it's provided by the Botanical Hotel. Uh, context for me is that I went to Melbourne Grammar and Melbourne University. Uh, and so the Botanical Hotel is, is probably about 200 metres away from Melbourne Grammar. And so did you spend much time here as a student or was it just one of those places you walked past? Well, I was actually 17 when I finished year 12. And so I spent most of my time here when I was at uh, Melbourne University. Yeah. Uh, and that was because a lot of the, the girls that we uh, were lucky enough to spend time with went to Merton Hall. Okay. <laughs> so uh, it wasn't necessarily here that we spent a lot of time when I was at Melbourne Grammar, but um, hiding together in the botanical gardens behind bushes and things like that. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a place that brings back a lot of good memories for me. It does. Yeah. I, did, I did enjoy school. I was, I was lucky. I came from Western Australia uh, because my parents divorced and I came to Melbourne with my mother. And the principal of the school that I went to in Western Australia, which was Christchurch, 
became the principal at Melbourne Grammar. Huh. Uh, so hence, I got to have the last three years of my uh, schooling at Melbourne Grammar. Because of that relationship that you had? Uh, I think it helped, yeah. yeah. I think it helped. It definitely helped me stay there because at one point I was almost suspended for mooning a ferry. <laughs> What's a ferry? A ferry, not, not a, <laughs> a uh, water-going vessel uh, oh, okay. <laughs> at yeah. Portsea. We were on a, um, rugby was a big part of my life and we were on a rugby training uh, trip where we were training at the army barracks and I convinced two other boys from the team to drop their pants in front of a ferry. The army got blamed. Once they got to the bottom of it, they realised it wasn't the army, it was Melbourne Grammar. So we got sent to the principal's office and I had to negotiate my way out of expulsion. Wow. Yep. Which you did. Which I did, actually. It's a good segue into business because um, I often tell this story in negotiation workshops. It was possibly the first time I realised how creativity helps in a negotiation mm. and how uh, stress and uh, anger and intimidation don't help you, especially when you're the underdog. So here's the principal, here's me, and the army wants blood because they've been accused of mooning a ferry. <laughs> anyway, so the accusation came in that was that I had brown-eyed <laughs> the ferry. And I listened to this. I listened to the principal outline this um, very high-ranking officer in the army's uh, description of the events, and the principal said, "Because of this, I'm now in a position where I have to set an example, and that example they've asked for is that you be expelled." So I said, "Look, I totally agree. Um, if I had brown-eyed the ferry." And he was like, Matthew, come on, be serious. And I was like, no, I, I am being serious. Like, a brown eye is truly offensive. <laughs> and so then I gave an example of what a brown eye was. The principal agreed that that was horrific. And I said, well, that's not actually what I did. So if brown eye is the penalty for... Sorry, if expulsion is the, uh, the penalty for brown eye, then uh, surely a lesser <laughs> sentence is worthy of a moon and, and that's how I, I got out of it so wow yeah I got a, a series of Saturday detentions and managed to still graduate from Melbourne Grammar so that's amazing yeah <laughs> that was what an intimidating moment to uh, uh, well, be forced to think on your feet like that as it was well. but it was a good I think that um definitely put me in good stead for realizing that um creativity is a very useful asset to have in a negotiation. Yeah. So then when I went into small business, um, and you're always trying to negotiate with larger entities, whether it be distributors, whether it be suppliers, whether it be clients or investors, you're always in that underdog position. And if you let yourself be stressed or intimidated by that, you're going to lose the very thing that they're interested in, yeah. which is your ability to improvise, to be creative, uh, to see around corners and all of those sort of things. Is there a way that you remind yourself or in those moments bring that out of yourself or have you, is it more the, the training and the practice you've done in the lead up to those situations? I think there's a lot of influences on it. Um, it's kind of a good sort of vein for us to go down because I do think that negotiation is at the core of any business dealing. Uh, it does kind of enable you to get from startup to next phase to next phase to next phase. Um, I think 
when I recognize that I am not being very influential and things are slipping out of my control in a negotiation is when I'm stressed. And I can't call upon those creative resources or those memories of experiences and learning uh, experiences in the past. Yeah. Um, and usually that's because I've overinflated the interest at stake. So if you've ever felt yourself going, all I need to do is get this deal through and then my business is going to take off and that's going to like, I'm going to think going to be more impressive in front of my friends, I'm going to be able to provide for my family, I'm going to be able to finally be the apple in my parents' eye. All those things raise your interest at stake. Mm. And when you sit down there and the negotiation tends to go awry because they will try and knock you off balance, suddenly all those things like look like they're slipping away and yeah. there's your stress. Yeah. So how do you like not do that? Um, I think it helps that I do a lot of um, performance art. So um, my f the one that I've seen to have had the most success with and been able to go around the world is um, performing poetry. And sometimes those poems can be like, uh, the longest one I've done is eight and a half minutes long. Mm. And if I let myself get into that state where I worry that I'm going to stuff this up in front of uh, the largest audience was 1,500 people earlier this year, then my memory just goes. And I like, in the rehearsal for this particular event, the day before in front of like uh, the Adobe kind of directors that were putting on this event, uh, I just froze halfway through the poem. Yeah. And on reflection, I realized it was because I knew that this was the first time those people had seen this performance and they didn't even know what we were doing. Mm. Um, and so I was like, oh, I've got to, you know, this is the time to really impress them. And of course, what did I do? I raised the interest at stake and then my memory gave up on me and you know, I came back, but it was like, okay, how do I not let that happen tomorrow at the real performance? Yeah. And I did it by lowering the interest at stake. Yeah. So you've got to think about it in terms of those things and just see like, Really, is this going to be the big break? Really, is this going to like solve all the problems in your life? No, it's not. However, like if you have fun and you know, the audience knows if you're having fun, then you'll be able to call on all those resources like memory, experience, lessons you've learnt, creativity in the moment to be able to improvise, all mm. of those things. So my point is, find other areas of your life other than business to practice that skill. Yeah. So like right now. Yeah. <laughs> like what we're doing here. Exactly. You know, like this is, you know, we're going uh, sort of off-piste in, uh, in terms of it being a, a startup business conversation. But as long as we're relaxed and calm and playful, then you go, oh, okay. Yeah, negotiation is a really important skill. So let's, let's do this one and let's try and find some sort of practical lesson in there. Yeah. Rather than me coming in here with like a list of points. Yeah. But I really want to get across to do with my business, to do with my book and all of these things and then get stressed every time you ask a question that takes me off that. <laughs> yeah. That's a disaster. Yeah. yeah that's right. <laughs> um, it's funny, I, I get what you're saying there about raising the level of interest and one thing that I've noticed, or I guess how I've framed that in the past is my level of attachment to a particular yes. thing. And I've noticed from going 
from a very corporate job in the early parts of my career to now in the middle and or in the more recent parts of my career running small businesses that I I feel closer to and connected to that it's funny I am actually less attached in most of the cases I'm less attached than I was in the corporate world now and I I wonder if that's because back then I think it was very much about external measures that I was measuring myself against mm -hmm. and now that I'm doing my own business I'm kind of measuring myself against problems that arise that I need to solve um, I don't know if I'm articulating that in a very good way but I'm so I've got this breath mint business that I'm doing yep. and I am coming up against the manufacturing that we're doing in China the artists that we want to get the emerging artists that we want to get and um, it doesn't feel like I don't feel I do feel it stressed at times but mostly I don't feel that stress it just feels like oh, okay cool here's the next little obstacle course I need to navigate through and it's going to test my skills in a new way I'm going to be able to grow in a new way as well mm -hmm. does that make sense yes what it does saying there? yeah it does so there's a couple of things in there um, uh, the first one I hear is that you've switched from a ex well you said and correct me if I'm wrong that you've switched from an external kind of focus on, on the way that you measure achievement or success or yeah. progress or, to a more internal one yeah and so there's a sort of internal voice that you're listening to that sounds like it's it's louder and clearer than it, than it was before or maybe it's just more articulate it's less yeah. confused than it was before and then the second part of that um, I saw as um, flexibility mm. uh, now that's a really interesting topic there um, because it's very hard to be creative if you're not flexible so how's that going for you, Adam? Like, because <laughs> I think that's a really interesting area. Like, um, because the personal risk of your own business, um, I felt that was really a stressor for me, um, especially in the first business. So the, the first business, which is still going, it's just that I don't run it now. Uh, Beck Aitken runs that. She's a very creative and um, nurturing manager who now finds work for visual artists with the drawing book yeah. um, now that process of allowing her to take the business over um, would never happen if I allowed that stressor that we're talking about now um, to overcome me yeah and that stressor is that I am the business and the business is me <laughs> so if the business is not succeeding then I'm failing um, or worse, I'm a failure if this business doesn't succeed. Yeah. Um, because now this is not running a business. This is, this is now like you've sort of superimposed yourself <laughs> onto the business and the business onto you. So every negotiation, every deal, um, every quarterly results became a reflection of me personally. Yeah. And that, that was just terrible. Like that was a terrible way to try and run a business because it makes me really inflexible mm. because going back to the beginning my interest at stake is is huge to your whole sense of worth yeah yeah so i um of course in order to make myself redundant and move on and be able to start effectors uh, beck had to take over drawing book and she was not going to take that over if drawing book was matt jackson and matt jackson was drawing book so there was a whole series of things that had to happen um but back on to you um <laughs> 
What are you doing about that with the mint business? Like, how do you manage that relationship between Adam and the business? Yeah, it's... And vice versa. Mm. There's a couple of things there that come to mind when you ask that. The first is, I feel like... I never felt like I was a creative person until I started this process. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, I to say, to be in a group of people at a meetup or something and, and someone to say, it's just so good to be filled with a room of creative people. I feel like I feel naturally part of that now. And it's an incredible transformation. And I, I think part of it is just been that process of allowing myself to create, mm -hmm. like creating this business, creating this breath mint business out of kind of nothing, creating this podcast as well. Um, but with the mint business, I've got three other business partners in it as well. Uh -huh. And that's been quite, the idea came from me like that. And I, we, you know, and then was nurtured and developed by all of us. And it's been, I've, I've, I felt that tension between um, wanting to control it all and that also understanding that the four of us together can create something much better than what I could by myself. Yeah. So I'm still wrestling with that a bit because we haven't launched this business and it's probably just getting to that point where some of those tensions are going to become, uh, I guess, more defined. But I know that, like, I, I don't have capacity to control it all myself anyway to do the other things I want to do so I'm going to have to let go and it's going to become something different to me and bigger than me and whatever it is so it's it's in process I guess is my answer to that yeah yeah the four people dynamic is interesting because that can still happen within the four people that one of those four might identify more with the business than the other three depending mm -hmm. on their level of involvement the, their interest at stake in, in a financial kind of sense yeah because um, you know, think about a band <laughs> yeah the four members of a band you know there's, there's always a member of the band who identifies more with the band than the other ones you know he's usually the one that in his 50s says let's get the band back together <laughs> yeah <laughs> because you know life has never been the same he hasn't been as fulfilled <laughs> since he left the band and the other ones have moved on to other things and changed and stuff like that yeah and I noticed that dynamic in, in businesses as well mm. Um, so yeah, that's a question for all four of you rather than just one of you. Yeah. So maybe the, the podcast is a really good way to frame that one because there's people listening who may have their own podcast or maybe writing their own book or um, mm. may have a brand on Etsy or, or something like that. Or maybe they've just got a, a really active Pinterest board that is, reflects their life and they identify with. Yeah. How do we maintain a healthy relationship with these projects that are becoming more and more personal in order to cut through the attention filter of audiences out there mm. like how, how do we do that how do we keep that interest at stake low when we're putting so much of our identity into these projects and I'm asking you in the context of the podcast, because that's a yeah. really good place for you to answer, because you are very much part of this product. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think a Martha Graham quote comes to mind, which I, I can't quote it directly, but it's something along the lines of, you know, there's, there's basically, I'm the only person that can create what I can create. And if I don't create it, it won't exist in the world. And it's not up to me to judge whether it's good enough or bad enough or amazing or not amazing. 
my job is to create the thing that needs to be created. Mm-hmm. And that, that sits in the back of my mind a lot about different things, like the podcast. Like, I, I felt very strongly about creating it. Um, I've called it Subtle Disruptors, and I haven't called it with Adam Murray mm-hmm. or anything like that. So I think I try and I keep a little bit of a distance from it in that way. Um, but I do, like I, you know, it did take a lot of effort to get it off the ground and not sweaty kind of effort, but um, that sort of creative emotional effort to just create something out of nothing. Um, uh-huh. So that's, to interrupt you there, that's what I'm really interested in because that's where the crossover of commerce and art happens. So one of the beautiful things about using our hands to make something is that the, the boundary between our, the product of our passion and where the passion comes from, i.e. us, our individual personality, the makeup of our experiences, is a really clear boundary because if, I, if I'm a glass blower in Venice, which would be lovely, let's just dwell in that <laughs> moment, but if I was and I make this glass, then I'm Matt and there's my artistic product outside of that. When the effort that you put into the product, in the case of a podcast, uh, is so much of the emotional effort and so much of your own creativity, uh, that boundary is harder. Yeah. And you were talking before about lowering lowering interest at stake through... um, I'm going to paraphrase here, so correct me if I don't, you don't like the expression, but that you uh, detach. So right now, am I right in the guess that this, the method, you, that your strategy is to almost detach from this as quickly after making it as you possibly can? <laughs> yeah. Um, sometimes I feel that. Yeah. Sometimes I feel very attached to it still. Mm. Yeah. And it, it varies from week to week. Um, yes, I, I, I don't have a definitive strategy. I think um, I'm still, it'll be, it, I guess it'll get, the podcast will eventually get to a point where I decide to keep going or not to keep going, you know? And I, I've got a bit of an idea about a year in my mind, like after a year of doing this, where will it be and how will I make that decision? And um, I don't have a, I don't have a, a strategy in mind right yet, or a, a framework for how I'm going to make that decision. Um, but I think, yeah, I think detaching or to try and keep it as a thing separate from me is probably the way I will best evaluate it. At this point in my life, I believe that to be the most rewarding way of doing it. Okay. <laughs> um, I think it's very difficult. Um, but I'll give you two personal examples, one being a business and one being, well, two being a business and one being um, a poem, which I guess is my pop poem. It's the one that gets requested the most. Yeah. So I've sort of given you one example already that unless I detached from drawing book, I was never going to be able to have someone else run it. And then uh, I launched Effectors in 2013, and that was very much um, a child born out of um, my way of 
thinking. Uh, and whilst I thought of it as my child, then it was never ever going to be bigger than me. It was only ever going to be a proportion of me. In order for it to grow bigger than me and actually to be a movement, which is what I want it to be, um, and it's moving now, so it's, that's happening, um, but it wouldn't move if it was wrapped up in me. Like, for that to keep moving, other people need to be able to identify with it. Yeah. And if I'm like a child going, no, it's mine, <laughs> it's my way of thinking and you can't do that, then that's crazy. I'm, I'm actually stopping it from doing the very thing that I want it to do. Yeah. The poem's a really interesting example, though, because um, you, can't, you can't have it both ways, and we all want to have it both ways. Um, and I'll, that'll make more sense when I say this to like 50% of people and I hope you're one of those 50%. <laughs> the other 50% won't know what I'm talking about but yet, but they will eventually. Um, so the poem is Red Bike um, and I wrote that poem um, almost as a stream of consciousness. Like it, I started to write it and then there was like a, a cascade of ideas and thoughts and feelings and memories and an hour and a half later, the poem was done. And I woke up in the morning and looked at it and I was like, I think, I think that's something, I think I've just done something good. Like, I think that's great. And then the immediate reaction I had was, yeah, but who did that? Because I didn't put the physical effort in like of some of my other poems, which take months to do, where I'm you know, crafting them and fitting them into a rhyming structure or a, a rhythm that's really you know, unconventional and non-conversational, uh, so it's, it takes a lot of moulding and sculpting, and I definitely feel that I've exerted my will on it, and I can claim that as my own. Red Bike, on the other hand, I, I still don't know, like, where it came from, because it was that kind of stream of consciousness. So here's the, you can't have it both ways. We want flow. We want that kind of, like, um, freedom of mind where we're just doing it and the rest of the world disappears and that's when we feel like we're in a natural state mm -hmm. but we also want to claim it as ours and unless like unless our ego is convinced that we really had you know, influence on this thing yeah. and we put that effort in yeah. we suffer some kind of imposter syndrome and this became acute for me when um, last year we got constantly asked for me to do that poem and I got to go to Los Angeles on the back of that poem and uh, my business partner heard me say, oh, I, just, I just wish they'd asked for another poem. And he was like, I've, I've sat with you as you have wanted to write something that people would identify with and ask and now that you have, you're like asking, you're telling them they can't have it. And that was like this kind of uh, moment of self-awareness that hit me as like gently as a wrecking ball. Like. <laughs> but he was absolutely right. And so those three examples, the poems are not most nicely contained, but it happens in business as well. You, you hope that business would be um, kind of free-flowing and natural with people able to make decisions by themselves because the values are so well articulated and, and, and the purpose is, is so motivating. Um, but of course, once people are making those decisions without you, it's not your business anymore. Yeah. 
So you got to deal with that. You gotta, you know, like, I think that's a really interesting point. And the podcast in a year's time, you, you will have that. How will you do that? Yeah. And it really depends on how much you let Adam be defined by this podcast. Mm. Yeah. I could pause and think about that for a while, actually. That's, um, I would want to, I want to ask you to recite a poem maybe a bit later as well, (laughs) if there's one that comes to mind. So maybe you can have that journey way in the back of your head. Um, Perhaps if we go back a little bit and um, like I know a little bit about you because I've read your book Mm. and um, is this your first book? Yes. The Age of Effect? Yes. Yeah. Um, It's got a lot of your poetry in it, Mm -hmm. which is, makes it probably one of the more uh, distinctive and unique um, books like this that I've ever read. Was that, and I guess what my question's about you know, and you talk in the book about merging creativity and business, and you did an arts degree and a business or a commerce degree, and um, as a result, you got a bit of shit flung at you from both sides because <laughs> of that. Um, and, you know, I've actually, even in this conversation, we've talked a little bit about myself sort of understanding my own creativity over the mm-hmm. past couple of years, and I think I've, I've come to see the importance of that in all aspects of my life. But take us through... I guess a little bit of your journey and I don't know if you might need to go back to school, but then picking that double degree and, you know, how did that actually, how did you become a poet and a business person as well? Oh, that's, that's uh, an easier question to answer than, and less fascinating than the listeners would probably want. Um, The arts degree I did because I love poetry Um, and the commerce degree I did to relieve my mother who was terrified that I'd never be able to make a living out of being a poet um, so she was like you know you can do the arts degree if you do the commerce degree as well uh, the tricky thing about that though was that I didn't get the marks to, to do arts commerce at Melbourne Uni yeah um, so the way that happened was that I en- enrolled in both um, and sat in the lectures and did the exams for both um, so that appeased my mother because she could see that I was doing arts and commerce but I still only had an arts degree or was you know, enlisted in that um, so then I sat in the Dean's um, waiting room and it, like spent the first two weeks of my holidays that year sitting in that room um, until eventually she came out <coughs> and said what's it going to take to get you to not sit there anymore and I said, I, I, really, I really need to do commerce arts. Um, this is the situation. Um, and my argument was that I'd, um, I'd done a lot that year. I was captain of Victoria for rugby union. Um, I'd done a, illustrated a whole comic book, um, which I'd submitted for the Nescafe Big Break, which was an award. I don't think it's still around, but they gave you 20000 towards a project. Yeah. So that got to quarterfinals. But there was a lot of um, effort that went into the tendering process. Um, and so that was my argument. It was like, you know, if I hadn't put so much time into rugby and if I hadn't put so much time into that comic book during my year 12, I would have got the mark to be able to do arts and commerce. You know, and that was me in my own kind of reality <laughs> because 
to her mind, she was like, no, no, you just didn't get the mark. Pretty simple, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So I was persistent and, and that went for an hour, that conversation, till eventually we did a deal. Um, as long as my mark stayed above a certain level, then I would be allowed to continue with the arts commerce degree. Um, and that was an incredible opportunity, but it kind of, I think it was the beginning of me being happy with non-closure, like, because she didn't give me a straight, yes, you can do it. It was a real, like, you're never going to have that yes until you've actually gone through the whole five years and, and kept your marks above, I think it was 65%. Yeah. So I never could take it for granted. Yeah. From that day, I had to, like, make sure and uh, it's a long answer but actually it's got a little bit more fascinating than I thought it would be Um, because I did dip below that mark in Japanese and I thought there's no way she's going to know within a week I was in her office and she was asking me what are you going to do about this (laughs) and I said I'm going to go to Japan and she said have you just made that decision up then and I was like yes I have but (laughs) but I will do it and I'll send you the the tickets like this afternoon. I went and booked the flights that afternoon before I'd even told my family that I was going to Japan. And as it turns out, I lived in Japan for a year. Wow. Yep. So yeah, I did. it was uh, it was hard for that arts commerce degree. <laughs> um, but you know, you, I never t- like I never took it for granted um, because of that. So in a way, it was a really lucky turn of events. Yeah. Um, but what you Uh, mentioned before was that kind of not feeling a sense of belonging in either faculty Um, and I think that is something that that's really hard and you know to stand out because you want to be unique and you want to be an individual and you want to be creative and and that means kind of expressing yourself but at the same time you also want to fit in because you want your tribe and, and you want that support around you so how do you stand out and fit in at the same there's, there you go there's a paradox right there mm. especially with art and commerce because anyone who's an artist um, dreams of being able to kind of you know build a life around it um, which requires that you put a value on it um, and anyone in business like doesn't want to feel like they're just pushing buttons on a production line like they would like to use some of their own thought and expression to contribute and so you you do have to kind of embrace commerce and art together yeah um where i have found in my work that is most hard is that both sides almost seem to define themselves with a belief that excludes the other side. So the artist Hmm. has the concept of selling out. So the minute you sell out, you're no longer an artist. There you go, like that, that's immediately problematic. And on the other side, um, there's a lot of people in, especially the corporate scene, which I'm I'm sure you would have found, um, you're nodding, so I think. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) um, And that is that creativity can be seen uh, as a squandering of resources, uh, whether that be time in terms of daydreaming and going off track, you know, like let's just stay focused on the procedure. Um, so until we kind of like let go of some of those beliefs that aren't serving us well when we 
want to make a living from our art or we want to be more creative in the way we do business, uh, we're not going to be able to have those two blend together. Yeah. Uh, so that's a lot of the work we're doing is challenging that belief like it's not helpful and um, and we don't see it in all cultures it's especially acute in Australian culture I believe yeah so this is the a lot of the work that the effectors does challenging those kind of beliefs between that in that that crossover between business and the arts yes and we're and we're not the only ones I think it is a movement and I think it's uh, been driven by a lot of the breakthroughs in neuroscience um, where they have actually been able to prove the benefits of creative thinking because um, creative thinking is not is not new you know we've had lots of names for it um, my hero Edward de Bono like he you know, he had lateral thinking and yeah. um, and that that kind of did help me in, in uni to kind of blend art and commerce together. Um, but what's happening now, um, especially in the last five to 10 years, is those breakthroughs in neuroscience that actually show um, that creative thinking is healthy and um, that creative thinking does inspire others and it does lead to um, productivity uh, if you take a broader lens with it. Uh, meaning that yeah. if we're well, you mentioned with the um, the the mint business that you've got four people there, and because there's four people there, you can do more together than you'd be able to do on your own. Uh, or with the podcast, you've got two people here as opposed to just you speaking, and that allows the conversation to go in a myriad of different directions than it would go if it was just. You. Monologue, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's plenty of monologue ones and they, they have their benefits. Yeah. But arguably, if you look at the number of directions your podcast goes in, it's broader than, and potentially deeper on, in, on each segment um, than the, the monologue would be. Yeah. Um, but that only works if you um, are open to other people's opinions. If you're not open to the other three members of your mint business's opinions, it's not going to go further than you could go on your own. No. There's a very good argument that you could go further on your own. Yeah. However, if you are open to the opinions of the other three and, and vice versa, then it will go further than you could go on your own. And there's a strong argument for longer yeah. if you want it to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so how is, you touched on Australian culture being mm -hmm. particularly I guess maybe inflexible I don't know when it comes to some of those things or how how are you working with organisations and groups of people to bring in some of the, the thinking that we've talked about and changes in neuroscience and and you know taking the best of creativity and business through each part how, what sort of work are you doing what does it look like so, first of all, we try and smash that frame of reference, which is that the most valuable thing that an artist produces is the artefact. So, that lovely moment when I was a, a glass blower in, in Venice earlier in our conversation. Yeah. Um, my product is the, the glass that I blow. Yeah. 
so that that is a really narrow definition, and it's not what I believe and, and what we um, the experience we create in our workshops. What I believe is the most valuable is the the way that I think, and the way that I and the processes that I go through, yeah. uh, and that might even be the perseverance and the um, resources that I somehow found to keep as going as a glass blower amongst all the other external voices and authorities that were talking to me saying don't do it um, so jump out of fantasy and go into reality I, I definitely had that with poetry it's not the poem that makes our workshop valuable what is is that the, the decades of experience I've had at how you make a memory so if I can teach people how you make a memory, then that's valuable to somebody who's pitching for a new client. Because you want to be the five minute pitch out of the hundred that that board of investors heard that day. Yeah. You want to be the one that gets remembered. Yeah. Um, so you look at things like Shark Tank and, and programs like that, yeah. where you can see how valuable just that engaging presentation is yeah so that's one way another way is um, most of us think in terms of pictures or um, language so the poems not valuable because of the words on the page the poems valuable in terms of understanding how we talk to ourselves and understanding how people express their thoughts through the language that they use because if I can understand that, then I can build rapport, I can um, understand the way you're thinking, I can understand what's important to you, and then that would help in a negotiation situation. It would also help in terms of the building rapport, in terms of collaborating well with you. So that's, the artifact is the poem, the skills and the processes that lead you to creating the poem are what's valuable. I mean, another one that we love doing is feedback. Now, the language people use when giving feedback completely determines the result of that feedback and how well it's received and how likely it is to be put into action in an organisation. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a big shift that I think needs to happen um, in, especially Australia, uh, where artists start putting value on the way they create something rather than just the thing that they create. Mm. And it was interesting to hear what you were saying about part of the way, I think this is what you, you were talking about when you were saying through your poetry and through performing your poetry live, you've learnt a lot of the skills that you then apply in negotiation or... Um, you know, uh, lowering your level, your level of interest or those kind of things. One thing that I tried last year was, um, I guess in this regard, was I just did a one-night workshop in improv comedy. Yes. And that was amazing Fantastic. for that. <laughs> like, I was a bit of a disaster at it. Like, I was kind of... I was planning my moves. According to who? Well, no, it, was, it wasn't a disaster going there, but... I learned a lot, I guess is there what I'm go. trying to say. Yeah. I learned a hell of a lot about 
um, about how I how I interact in everyday life. So the, the I can't remember. You know, the, one of the big things with improv is you got to go yes and. So somebody brings something into the scenario that you're creating, and you say yes and this. And we're playing this one where one person went in first, and they just made up a scenario. I'm a tree, and then. The next actor comes in and they say, "I'm a bird on the tree," and then I'm a grass on the ground, or whatever it is. They can they can do whatever they want. And what I noticed myself doing in that particular game was that I was almost two or three late. Like I'd planned my move mm. two people before I actually had my move. So someone else would jump in, and then I'd be I'd be on the person before them, and it would wouldn't fit anymore. But I'd already done it. As well, you know, I'd be out there and I'm like, oh, but, you know, all of a sudden it's a raining day and I'm out there sunbaking or something like that, you know what I mean? I haven't listened. I've been too wanting to get the right answer yeah. to put it out there. And doing that kind of performance piece really helped me to think about, yeah, just everyday moments of how instead of like being in this moment and thinking about, you know, what's happening right now, I'm kind of going back to say for an, in a podcast example I'd be going back to a question that I had before we got here yeah 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 there you go yeah, yeah that's, it's really nice and it, it fits well with how we started this like when you when you're second guessing uh, you're less flexible mm. uh, and so this is really interesting when you look at meetings and agendas Um where there's very few honest agendas. Like, there's a lot of politically correct agendas that get sent to people before the meeting. <laughs> yeah. um, but what, what Adam really wants to get out of this meeting hardly ever gets put in the agenda. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> and you go, huh, well, I mean, how, you know, like, so can we trust the agenda? Like, is the agenda allowed? saving us time or, or is it using up more time because now it's a guessing game on what does Adam really want. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that, that's really interesting in terms of, of meetings. Um, I, I, I think it's a really good question for people to ask. I think you definitely, out of respect for your own time and for the other person's time, should definitely set an agenda. Mm. I also think that um, you should release yourself of the pressure of having to get through every item on the agenda. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because if you have that, then you are going to be less flexible. Mm. And you'll miss the opportunity that, that might come out of item 1.2 um, on the agenda. Yeah. Because you're too busy thinking about your answer for item 4 on the agenda, <laughs> just like you, you know, like... I'm going to say I'm the worm beneath the grass and then suddenly the person before you like is in the sky as a cloud and you're like, oh no. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> and it's, what I, what I reflected on about that was it was a lack of trust in myself in yes. being able yes. to be in a moment and respond authentically in a moment. Like it was kind of like I didn't trust myself just to do that. But learning... But then in those few moments where I could, it was amazing insight as well, just to think, wow, I can, I got this. Like I can I be love me. That. Yeah. yeah, I think that's, and I think that's really good to just emphasize what you just said there, is to find a low risk 
activity that you can do outside of your business or outside of your uh, podcast, which is, you know, there's identity in that. Mm. You know, go into a new group, do something you've never done before and learn to trust yourself. Yeah. Then bring that, now that you know you can do it, <laughs> into your business, into the podcast. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think that's a really good tip for people listening yeah yeah I was going to ask you a similar question actually do you have any do you have any tips apart from that one about people I guess learning the process of creating you know like bringing that into their own lives is it is it just a matter of doing a few external things maybe like an improv class maybe like free writing for example or you know how how can people bring that into their everyday life and so let's go back to the open-minded which I think is a really key ingredient in um, creativity. And there's a lot of podcasts and a lot of articles that say, open yourself to new experiences. And they don't give you any how, they just tell you that that's good. So I think <laughs> you can agree that that's good for creativity, but it's like, <laughs> how do I do that? Yeah. Um, and all, all, often the, that's met with like, I don't have enough money to go and have a new experience. But there's an assumption there. There's an assumption that you know, you've done everything that you can afford. Yeah. There's an assumption there that you can't do what you've done in a different way in order to have a new experience. Yeah. <laughs> and both of those are assumptions and both of them aren't true. Correct. Um, so I'm going to go with a really inexpensive tip because that's what I like. I like ones that people could do as soon as they stop listening to this podcast. Yeah. And I'm going to do it on Open Minded. Um, so the best state of mind to be in um, to be creative is one that allow that is flexible and agile and that means uh, the least amount of attachments so in a car uh, with my wife so interest at stake is immediately very high because you know this is my wife you know um, we play a game where we read uh, a quote from a philosopher uh, so it might be imagination decides everything agree or disagree uh, so let's play it now Adam imagination decides everything agree or disagree do I agree with an argument agree or disagree with that statement uh, everything everything disagree okay so I like by, by emphasizing everything at the end there. I was hoping that you'd give me a disagree. Yeah. So, uh, tell me why you disagree or what makes you disagree, ideally from a personal experience. Hmm. Hmm. Well, I was going to say, I think, I think where it's true is imagination. I create my reality through my imagination. I think that's true that I think reality exists apart from my imagination as well. Mm -hmm. So there's things that I put onto the way I am, like I, I, um, I think it creates, I think I imagine things and then I think uh, I set a bit of a, I notice things based on what I've imagined and then they're more likely to come into being. Okay. Um, but I think there's a whole universe out there that exists before my imagination, before anyone's imagination existed. Yeah. Mm. It's not really a personal example, but that's how I, that's why I came to that answer. So anyone who was listening 
and forming an argument in their mind whilst you were talking missed out on the opportunity. And the opportunity was empathy. So if you can put your, where you stand on imagination decides everything yeah. to one side yeah. and just completely open yourself to Adam's answer as he's talking okay, and then ask a question to find out more about that, anything that you need clarity on. But there's a difference between asking a question so that you get more clarity so that I can understand your perspective better yeah. and asking a question to try and disprove what you've just said in order to prove my answer. Yeah. Because that's not open-minded, that second one. Yeah. So that's a way that you can inexpensively practice being open-minded. Because if you can get really good at that, then think of your board meetings with the other three members of your uh, business. If all four members go into a meeting all trying to disprove each other and prove their opinion, i.e. close-minded, it's not a more creative business. No. In fact, each one of you could, will probably end up doing less than you could do on your own and the business disbands for you know, one of the reasons that most businesses disband. The agree or disagree question is a good way for you to seek out people who you can hear a different opinion from. For the sake of a, a nice concise example, I stressed everything to, to get a disagree from you. Yeah. Um, but really, whether you, or not you agree or disagree with me, the chances of you having the same perspective on it as me, for the same reasons, based on the same experiences in your life, I'm going to guess it's zero. But the more I try and force your answer to fit with mine, the less creative I'm being. Yeah. Now, once we've got an answer that we've heard both of ours, any business people listening to that example I just gave would be like, oh, but that's just a waste of time, you know? Like, sometimes you need to get things done. Sometimes you need to just take action quickly. Okay, so we just heard each other's opinion. We can decide whether... Uh, we've got a whole bunch of information there. Whether I agree with you or you agree with me is not as important as whether our whether the information that's come out agrees with the purpose and the values of our project business collaboration. Mm. Tease that out a bit more. So the information once you say it yep. is out of you and it's out here. Yeah. I don't agree or disagree with it. Yeah. It's your perspective. I'll add my perspective to it without arguing with what you said. I'm just adding that information to it. Yeah. So we're not using our judgment to argue with each other. We're going to use our critical thinking now to choose the definition that fits with the purpose, values and beliefs mm. of the organisation. Yeah. So it's kind of like we put the information into a, into a sphere that's not you or me. It's this new thing and we can critique it as a new thing. Yep. Yeah. And that means that like the more information we get, the more information we get to choose from. So you can see that simple tip that I've given now about the agree or disagree and train your mind to be open-minded yeah. leads to empathy, which is a key principle in design thinking, which 
is getting you know lots of traction at the moment but that key point is being missed so often I'll meet people who are advocates for design thinking and they say it's the best way to do business and I'm like okay you just you've just now closed your mind off to all other ways of doing business and therefore <laughs> sacrificed one of the key pillars of design thinking <laughs> but you can see if like we were like kind of um, here's the information we've got because we need to make a decision about who where we're going to distribute the mints um, and you go okay I don't think we have enough information so you can now talk to customers you can talk to distributors you can talk to all these people mm. without placing a filter on it which is do I agree with it or disagree with it yeah yeah because if you do that, then you're going to ignore all the information that doesn't agree with your agenda. Yeah. And you're only going to include all the information that does agree with it. Yeah. So it's actually a waste of time because you were going to make that decision anyway. <laughs> That's right. So the tip is play the agree or disagree game to train yourself to have an open mind. Yeah. Then go out and seek information and then make a decision based on all that information in the context of the purpose and the values of the project. Yeah, I like it. Yeah. Seemingly simple, what I, the tip that I gave, but you can see how it actually affects decision-making, problem-solving, market research, distribution, everything. Yeah. Got an interesting example of that last week, in a way. We asked, uh, so where I work at the moment, Code for Australia, we had nine new fellows come in and we needed to split them into three teams to go on to three different assignments. And there's various ways we could have split them into three teams, we could have done it randomly, we could have imposed those teams upon them, but the facilitator that we had suggested that we ask them to do it. And he said a great way to do that is to, let's, let's put people's names on a on a piece of, or get them to write actually their name and their, the project they want to be on, the project they don't want to be on, and the skills that they have. We're going to write on a piece of butcher's paper the three different projects, the skills that they, they need, and the balance that we need, the soft skills and the technical skills that we need on each assignment. And um, we'll go for it. So we did this exercise and it was just, the outcome was amazing. Like they all bought into the teams that were formed. Yeah. They all tested them. Yep. You know what I mean? They tested them uh, without that attachment because I think partly because we'd empower them to do so and they, were con they got to know each other well and so they were concerned about everyone's well-being. They wanted everyone to be happy. And also partly because they were, they were dealing with the information that was out there that it all contributed to about people's desires but also what the projects needed. And so they... Collectively, they created these three beautiful teams, and yeah. it worked really well. Yeah, it was. Um, I wasn't expecting that, anyway. Amazing that you you pointed out to everyone that everyone bought in, like, as opposed to like, oh, we've got this new strategy. How are we going to get everyone to buy in? Yeah. The the buying in is built into the way that you form those teams. Yeah. Yeah, and that's a that's a huge advantage over the old method, which was we're going to make these teams, and then how do we get them to buy into the vision? Yeah, and you can yeah. see, like going back to the beginning of this podcast, where we were talking about 
identifying with the business and, and you, know, you become the business and the business becomes you and, and that means it's really hard to, to get other people to, to identify with it. Yeah. Well, you just solved it. <laughs> <laughs> you just solved it. <laughs> well, we did. But you can see that that's how, like, I think a really good open-minded um, conversation progresses. Yeah. Uh, where you hear something from another person and you're like, oh, okay, yes, that connects to that, that connects to that. That's a different way of looking at it. The two of us walk away from this conversation going, well, I, I can't speak for you, but I, I can speak for me, which is I'll walk away from this going, ah, there were new thoughts, there were new concepts, there were new ways to articulate things that wouldn't have happened if I'd spent the hour another way yeah. than with you. Yeah. Good conversation, both people are listening, both people are talking. Yeah. Yeah. I do. I do feel the same. <laughs> <laughs> Whether it's a good old conversation, in my mind, doesn't depend on that. So. <laughs> um... We are coming up to about an hour, actually, but there's there's two questions I ask at the end. But before I get there, we need the poem from you as well. But also, um, one of the chapters in your book, you talk about um, the word effector or what is an effector as yeah. well. And I think there's there's an OR and there's an ER spelling. Mm -hmm. um, and it might be a good way just to talk a bit about what an effector is and why you've written the book as well. But can you talk about that difference and, yeah... What, what is an effector? Like, what, what is this movement that, you, that you're developing? So, um, the, the movement's based on a thought or a question, which is, what would change in society, business, communication, if we prioritise the affect over the effect. Uh, so, and I say prioritize, so it doesn't mean I'm ignoring the effect, I'm just saying, what if we focused on the affect of the conversation or the interaction and let the effect look after itself? And by affect, I mean the change in your thoughts and feelings. So, um, and this is actually in keeping with, with the whole conversation. Um, so if I put my agenda first, so I decide my agenda is to um, get you to promote the book. Um, and from the very beginning of this podcast, I just keep you know, trying to get that agenda through. Yes, yeah? so I'm putting the effect before the, the affect. Um, I believe that it would be a less interesting podcast. Uh, I think it would probably irritate you. Um, because you'd know that I was putting that effect before the affect. Yeah. Uh, also, it would be less likely that we would have another conversation after this one. Um, and the, the podcast, from the listener's perspective, they would be like, uh, yeah, they'd probably barely get past the first minute. Yeah. Uh, so the opposite of that is to uh, prioritise thoughts and feelings. Um, which means creating a comfortable environment. It means creating a playful environment. So we were talking about brown eyes and, and moons at the beginning of the conversation. Um, and then it was, 
you were able to share some things about what you were going through in business. You were able to share some beliefs around imagination and, and things like that. So we got to know a lot more about you and we got to know a lot about me. Um, and then the effect will look after itself. Um, and it may not, it, it may be in this context of the conversation that I decide that the effect of the, the book is actually not the most important mm. result. There's a whole bunch of other things that have come out of this conversation. Yeah. Um, or things that I can't even imagine because a listener gets in contact with something that they picked up on in the conversation. And I was like, whoa, okay, uh, sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, and all of those opportunities are available if you prioritize, or if I prioritize the affect before the effect. Okay, so that, that's the thought that it came from. Um, what does affect or? Well, um, in 2011, which was two years before I actually launched the business, um, I saw that an effect or was somebody who um, was, an, was, was created a result. So if I make teaspoons, and to everyone listening, I'm holding a teaspoon <laughs> now. Um, so I make this teaspoon, um, and definitely in the industrial age and since the industrial age, if I can make more of these teaspoons cheaper and faster than anyone else, and I can move them from here to you, assuming you're the customer of the teaspoon, yeah. I win the game. So that, that's the effect, and I just put that first. So that means making more of them than I probably need in order to get the cost down. Yep. Um, it means doing advertising that is invasive and all of those sort of things. If you put the effect first, you can see where I'm going with this. We end up with too much stuff, and that includes the information that we need to move around in order to sell those teaspoons. And now we, we wonder why we're in a society that has too much stuff and too much information and we don't know what to do with it. Yeah. But that was an, if I can do that, then I'm an effector. Yeah. And now if I can move hearts and minds, I would have thought that would mean that I was an affector. But there is no word affector. The only word we have is affecteur, which means to pretend or feign knowledge. So when we say that somebody affected the air of an entrepreneur, yeah. um, so they would they would like assuming the guise of that. But that sentence presupposes that they're not that because they're pretending yeah. to be that. Yeah. So we have no word that says that I can sincerely, actively move the heart and mind of another person. Um, and I, I challenge that. Mm. I think that every time you, well, I, I assume that you are hoping to move the hearts and minds of people listening to this podcast. Indeed, yeah. Now, but I do believe there's only so much you can do. If somebody's listening to this while doing their laundry with a screaming kid in the other room and worrying about the lamb roast in the oven, and I've been in that situation, <laughs> it's very hard <laughs> to, get, to let any information in that would move your heart and mind. So, you know, it's a, it's a two-way street. Yeah. But you can definitely, sincerely, and actively move the heart and mind of another person, conditions being right. Mm. And that's the whole premise for the business. I love that. <laughs> I think that's great. Um, and I, it's kind of like the, the effect becomes less important as well, be, like you say, because it could be, well, the effect that you had in mind at the start 
Yes. Because it could be, it's probably going to be a lot richer or more diverse or more surprising, which I think is what you were saying, if, if the affect is focused on rather than the effect. Yeah. yeah. You'll be more open to feedback as well. Because you won't be like standing your ground going, defending that original idea so much. You'll yeah. be like, yeah. oh, hang on, this person cares enough that they've actually said something. Mm. Whether I agree with it or disagree with it, they've actually said something. Yeah. So if I listen to it and I'm open to it, then I can choose my next step. Yeah. But if I decide that I'm going to disagree with it no matter what they say, yeah. <laughs> you're not choosing your next step. Your stubbornness is controlling the yeah. next step. Yeah. The, um, the poem, do you have a poem? <laughs> would you like to recite a poem? <laughs> is there one that comes to mind that would seem appropriate in this kind of setting and context? Uh, yeah, because we've been talking about open-mindedness. And thank you for asking me at the end. Um, because uh, I do like um, to base it on a conversation so that it's a, it's a gift to the person. Um, so in the context of our conversation, this one is a gift to you, Adam. Um, it's not red bike. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't ask for it. <laughs> no, um, it's, it's easy enough to find that, and if, if anyone wants it, they, we can put it on the podcast or something like that. Yeah. Um, but this poem uh, is about a, a garbage man um, who I saw one morning. Uh, it is written, so it's the opposite of Red Bike. So it's written in a very structured uh, rhythm and rhyme sequence. It's a tricky one, um, but you'll hear it. The rhyme sequence is there to create a sort of galloping rhythm in there. Um, it's also there to contrast with the Bin Man, because the Bin Man was like the opposite of me, which was my ego running wild, trying to come up with a judgment or an explanation for why he was the way he was and how little he cared about my judgments and how open-minded he was. So you've got that kind of play here. So yeah, uh, It's called Ballad of the Bin Man. 800 metres was turned into nothing just like that as I watched him sprinting the course of the neighbourhood this morning. No burdens, resentments, or cares for deep thinking weighed on him. Instead, the purpose of service arose like the dawn in him. Standing in awe of this, I felt a need to tell him what was happening. I spoke, but the words fell right in his way, so he kicked them off. Knowing that praise weighs as heavy as blame, he kept moving. With our garbage held behind and in front, he returned to a state of no mind. Watching him, I realised how lucky we are to have the people in our lives who don't need to judge who or what it's about. It's just garbage and it needs to be taken out. Thank you. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I did. Um, I don't really want to comment on it. I just, yeah. 
It gave me goosebumps listening to you say it though. So thank you for sharing that. I really appreciate it. Uh, it's a joy. I can tell. I get it. I get it as well when I can see it. Yeah. Couple of questions as we do wrap up then. Mm-hmm. Um, is there something outside of effect that you'd like to be part of disrupting one day, or something outside of what you're doing right now that you daydream about? Um, that you think would be worthy of disrupting or being part of a movement you'd like to be part of? Garbage. I'm not saying that to be funny. Like, <laughs> it's uh, apparently, according to my mum, I picked up litter before I had language. Um, so really, like, poetry came after garbage <laughs> for me. Yeah. Um, but I often think of that. I often think I haven't really done anything um, to have a big effect in the area of garbage. Um, you know, I take my son on bushwalks and we fill up to you know, Woolworths or Coles bags full of rubbish. Yeah. So yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that he, yeah, he has those same beliefs in terms of picking up garbage and not caring whose it is or what it is, but just picking it up. Um, but I think there's a, there's, there's a strong enough uh, value there or, or driver in me um, that I would like to work on something um, that did move hearts and minds around garbage and made us more conscious of how much of it we create. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a good one. I, the lady I've just interviewed recently lives a frugal life, essentially, and reuses and upcycles a whole lot of stuff. Mm. Um, and that's a massive challenge. I find that a real challenge because I, yeah, I'm conscious of how much waste I generate yeah. every day. The last question is about something subtle that you've done in your own life. We've talked, we've given people that, you know, there's been a few little tips that have come out through this podcast, but perhaps there's um, something else that you'd like to talk about yeah, in regard to your own life, a subtle change that has sparked you on the journey or got you to where you are today or sustains you on that journey as well. And it would be something that people could incorporate into their own lives as well? Um, yeah, there is, I'm trying to think of a, I mean, there's one in terms of reading habits. Um, a subtle change was to really be aware of how much I could read in 10 minutes. So I used to um, be frustrated at the end of every year that I hadn't read very much. Um, and I tuned into the fact that I wouldn't read unless I had at least half an hour to read. And so it was really hard to find half an hour to read. Yeah. Um, and then I was assuming, I realised the assumption I'd made, which was that I couldn't read anything worthwhile in 10 minutes. And that's just not true. <laughs> yeah. um, it doesn't matter if it's fiction or non-fiction. You, you'll surprise yourself at how much you can read in 10 minutes. Uh, and it's much easier to find gaps of 10 minutes while you're waiting for someone for a meeting or something like that. Yeah. Um, so my, the amount that I read in a year went through the roof when I challenge that assumption. So that's a good one. Um, so I think reading's always a good one for opening minds. And changing up what you're reading, like change it from different topics. Yeah. Um, the other one is around, um, and this is, this is the poet speaking now, but it definitely opened my mind, um, was realising that I make meaning. Uh, which means that I can change it, which means that I can let go of it. Um, 
And that was a huge thing for me because I was like, oh, okay. So when you were talking about external measures and internal measures, um, and I was looking at, okay, well, in my life, I would say that this means success and this means failure. And I'd be really stubborn about that. And it would actually, and I would actually be able to talk myself out of entering into new creative enterprises or doing things differently yeah. based on that meaning. And then the day that I went, hang on, I invented that meaning. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I'd be looking for other people to change, to convince me that, you know, success or failure was different. I was just like, this is crazy. Yeah. Like when you talked about the improv class, you went into it with an idea of what success was going to be. And you defined what that was. Yeah. And then I saw a moment in the conversation with me just now where you changed the definition to, to a learning experience. And that completely changes the experience. Yeah. And, and the fact you can do that with little effort, just like that, is amazingly powerful. Like it's a subtle change, but it, it's a massive change. Yeah. Matt, it's been awesome chatting with you. <laughs> Likewise, I really enjoyed that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that poem in particular. And um, yeah, I hope we can chat again soon one day. I hope so. Cheers. Hey. Thanks for listening to this episode of Subtle Disruptors. I hope you got something out of it. I'd love to hear your thoughts on the show, including any suggestions you have for guests. You can get me on email through adam at subtledisruptors.com. And if you enjoyed listening and would like to be part of getting the word out about the Subtle Disruptors of Melbourne, a great way to do this is through jumping into iTunes and rating and reviewing this podcast. I'm Adam Murray, and I look forward to hearing about your own Subtle Disruption. Bye for now.